Knowledge is the fuel that powers intelligent buying and selling. So get a quick recharge with me, Ron Edwards, Master Sommelier and Director of Wine Education for Winebow, Fine Wine, and Spirits. Welcome back to WineSmart. Today we're having another visit with Monique Houston, our resident fabulous spirits expert and vice president of portfolio management. Always great to have you on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thanks, Ron. I've been excited about this conversation. It's summer, so it's timely. Yes, it is timely to talk about agave. And I, I just want to point people back, since we have such short window, um, to January 22. Can you believe it was that long ago? We actually talked about the agave crisis, which involved the general idea of early harvest and the use of diffusers to make up for time in the field. And I'm going to point people back there for the full discussion, but maybe take two minutes or something and give them a quick review of the downside of early harvest and the use of diffusers to make up for it. Yeah, definitely. It's a great question. And I, I think too, lots more people talking about this as people are digging into what they're drinking and seem like they care much more about what they're drinking. So in terms of, you know, typical kind of tequila mezcal production, but let's just keep it to tequila for now, because that's the most broadly consumed by far. That's like 95% of it, probably more than that. Um, there was a point in time at which they would measure the bricks in a ripe agave and say, okay, at this point, it's okay to harvest. And typically that would mean that Blue Weber agave, which is the agave that we use exclusively to make tequila, would be five to seven years old. So five to seven years old, aging, um, growing in the field, you know, and sitting there maturing before it got to that right amount of um, sugar. And legally, then you couldn't harvest unless it was a minimum of five years in the field. And then over time, as um, technology improved and processes improved, there were ways to extract more starch, you know, versus sugar, but starch that is then convertible into alcohol. Um, there were technologies that, that then came to the forefront that allowed people to create some efficiencies and meant that you didn't have that kind of five to seven year cycle of leaving the agave in the ground. And they actually then lobbied to have the legal age that you could remove a plant from the ground lowered to two years. So that's a huge difference going from kind of a hundred years of tequila production with a five to seven year cycle. Now with the, the large producers, the mass producers being able to go to two years, it means that you have something. And I think I said this in the last podcast, it's a little bit more akin to trying to make banana bread with a green banana versus a perfectly ripe banana. It's still going to taste like bananas, but is it going to be sweet? Is it going to have a lot of sugar in it? Is it going to be as flavorful? Probably not. You know, any fruit that is underripe is going to be quite a bit different. And that's the way that we have to look at agave. So in terms of actual diffuser production, what that does is essentially invert the process. And so instead of cooking the hearts or the piñas of the agaves first, then separating out the sugar, the sugary water from the fibers, the diffuser extracts the starches in the form of fructans first using lime and high pressure water shredding everything as it goes through on a conveyor belt and just extracting those fructans from it and then applying yeast to it to get convertible starches versus just straight up beautiful sugar. So it's just a very different flavor profile. It's a little bit more neutral. It's a little bit less agave forward. It's certainly less sweet. There you go. All right. So let's turn to the topic of purity because uh, I'm, I love agave spirits. I think the flavor profile aroma is always exciting. Um, and you know, I kind of ran under this false assumption for a long time that at a certain level of price or whatever, there was a purity of this is just agave, nothing else. And it's an expression of it. 
but now I'm finding out that's not entirely true. So what's going on? Got a couple different things going on. It's a great question, and and there's not a lot of transparency, you know, because this is coming from the the regulatory body of tequila in Mexico. So that there's a little bit of a lack of transparency, but this is the way that it's been done for a long time. Kind of like you teaching me how to read French wine labels. It's just not always right out there. Sometimes it just takes a little bit of time. So if you're just drinking, let's say gold tequila, gold tequila only has to be 51% or more agave. The other 49% could be agave nectar, but it could also be just like any kind of sugar. So for my flavor profile, I would avoid anything that says gold on it at all costs. You don't really know what about half of it is that you're drinking. Very different flavor profile. And then what people have come to learn, um, you know, and really been focused on, let's say in the past five to 10 years, is that even anything that is certified 100% agave, so if it says 100% agave, 100% Blue Weber agave on the label, legally, it actually only has to be 99%. It seems like a teeny tiny difference. And I think that's kind of part of what people are banking on, but up to 1% is quite a bit, up to 1% of anything. So you can have up to 1% additives in that bottle and you don't have to disclose it. You don't have to disclose that there is any any kind of additive. You don't have to disclose what they are or, or what percentage they are in the bottle. Is this just a cost-cutting measure? Is this a consistency of production over a large scale matter? What, what are the purposes of additives at that up to 1% concept? It's... Great question. It's both of those things. And it goes a little bit farther than that too. So in terms of cost cutting, just like we just talked about, being able to use a diffuser to produce an agave spirit means less, you know, less time in the ground. So less waiting for the agave to actually mature and then processing it in a huge, you know, machine fed way. So all of that is going to just provide more efficiencies and kind of cost cutting, but then people want to go back and actually add flavor to it. So there is an expectation that maybe it tastes like agave, that maybe it tastes like um, vanilla because it's been aged in a barrel, that maybe there's a sweetness to it because had the product or had the agave actually completely ripened, there would be a natural sweetness to it. So there's that up to 1% that you can add to add flavor to um, certainly support cost-cutting measures and definitely to give it some consistency. So from batch to batch, when you're dealing with something that is fairly neutral, if there's the expectation that a reposado uh, tequila, which, you know, would be three to 12 months aged, has a little bit of color, has a little bit of vanilla flavor to it, a little bit of, you know, tannin to it. So there's just, you know, the different additives that you can put in there for, for all kinds of different reasons. I think too, you've also got folks with sweet palates, um, just people like, or they think that they like, there's an expectation of, of these different flavors, um, across the board. And so it also depends on the, uh, audience that you're trying to cater to a little bit, how you play with the proportions of those four approved additives. If you're trying to appeal to a very American mass market bourbon drinking audience, you might lean more heavy into those additives. So lots of different ways that you can play with these. All right. Well, since you brought up the additives and you listed that, well, you just stated there are four, that seems like a short list that we should just go through. Uh, what are the four additives that are legally allowed, I guess, is the they're legally allowed, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. So four types of additives and the really simple way to put it is um, glycerin, caramel coloring, um, which is E140A, oak extract, and then harabe, which is a sugar-based syrup, typically an agave-based syrup, but it doesn't always have to be agave-based. Okay. I'm sure, I'm sure you've messed with some of these. So yes. glycerin is, is like 
textural. Glycerin is something that we see added very often and also doesn't need to be disclosed, but is added very often to things like vodka and gin to give it a quote unquote smooth mouthfeel. Smooth, one of my like nails on a chalkboard buzzwords, um, smooth is not how something tastes or finishes or anything else. It's a textural thing. And the fact that you can completely fabricate it by just adding a few drops of glycerin, it just allows it to be um, mouth coating. Right. Okay. So once upon a time, I was told by people I consider to be expert in the field that that texture actually should be a product of high quality distillation with good quality distillates. Are we still in? She's shaking her head in front of me on the screen. So. Absolutely. Okay. And that's true. And so things that are, you know, that are distilled slowly through, you know, copper pot stills, you're, you're going to naturally get that mouthfeel. You shouldn't need glycerin in order to have that. But if something's a bit more mass produced, it goes through a column still, goes through something that's just a little bit uh, more industrial, you might, you know, and you want, uh, there are a lot of people who seek just drinking something smooth. If they've only ever had a gold tequila in college, you know, and were hungover for two days, and you're trying to get them back into the category, you know, 10 years later, you know, a lot of people are seeking something that the first time they try it, they go, hmm, that's really smooth. Yeah. So we see that across all categories. So glycerin comes into play there. Uh, the next one that, that's used a lot is caramel coloring. So that E140A, which is the accepted um, coloring that can be added into spirits, you know, across the globe. So from whiskey, you know, to agave spirits. And it just takes like a drop of E140A to color an entire bottle of something. You know, you can make a, a whiskey look like it's 30 years old by adding a drop or two of this. So this would be in the, you know, when, when you're putting a Reposado or an Añejo tequila in the bottle, it has to have a certain amount of color in it. And maybe if you're using a really neutral barrel or you've got a fairly neutral product, just people seeing that there's some color to it gives them their this idea that there is um, wood and there has been flavor extracted from the wood. Yeah. And this is, and, and we need to be fair here. This is not just the agave industry. This is any aged spirit around the globe is likely to use this for consistency of color, et cetera. Not all of them, but it's used everywhere. Yeah, okay. exactly right. Um, the third one is, is oak extract. And so that oak extract is typically going to be, when you and I think of vanilla, we're probably thinking of like maybe a vanilla bean, a Madagascar vanilla bean, and we're cooking with it. But actually most vanilla is derived from an oak extract called vanillin which comes from um, toasting, you know, barrel staves. And so it breaks down kind of where you see the dark lines in the wood. It breaks that down into these oily components that end up in your tequila, in your whiskey, naturally. And vanillin is one of the strongest of those components that breaks down. So when you're using just vanilla extract, it's still natural vanilla extract. It's just derived from wood versus from a vanilla bean. And if you don't have, if you're not aging for a long time, or again, you're using very neutral wood, it might make sense to give that vanilla flavor by using an oak extract, Yep, just adding it to it. And then the, the last one that I think is probably used the most commonly in Spanish is called jarabe, but it's a sugar-based, typically um, agave-based syrup that is just there to give it sweetness. And if it's agave-based syrup, it can also give it not just sweetness, but agave flavor. So if you've used a severely underripe plant that doesn't have any of that naturally because it hasn't been allowed to develop, this is the way to put it back in the bottle. Very well. If you're concerned about this, which I think we should be, pure agave sounds better than adulterated agave or added, ag added to agave, where do we go find the resources as professionals and as consumers to know that we're getting the right 
non-diffuser, non-additive agave spirits. It's, we'll share, I know we're going to share some links. Yeah, we'll totally put it in the show notes, yeah. Yeah, so there isn't, at some point in time, there will be a CRT, which is the regulatory body of tequila in Mexico. The CRT will provide some kind of resource that is going to have some kind of legal recourse where there's going to be an inspector that goes out and inspects the distillery or the specific distillation of the products coming from the distillery. As of right now, and my numbers are not exact, but there are about 300 operating distilleries and about 3,000 different brands coming out of Mexico. So there are going to be distilleries um, like our partners at Fortaleza that only make Fortaleza. But there are also going to be maybe more industrial facilities that might produce, you know, maybe some of our celebrity brands. Um, So you might have, they might produce 50 brands. And then what are the points of differentiation? And it could be playing with all of those different elements. So within that, you could have a distillery that produces by diffuser, and non-diffuser. You could have a distillery that has some marks that have additives and some that are additive free. So we can't really condemn a NOM and everyone will remember the NOM is the Norma Oficial. It's the four digit number that tells us which distillery is actually producing what we're drinking. So we can't condemn someone just because they have that machinery on site or they have produced something that has that, that maybe has additives or is diffuser produced. Um, the resource that we use most commonly Um, is called Tequila Matchmaker. And they have a program that they can confirm that products are additive free. So I want to be clear because there is a little bit of kind of drama and hype around this right now. This is not a government body. This is a very enthusiastic, incredible, passionate couple who wanted to know more about what they were drinking and they're living in Mexico. And so the two of them started this Tequila Matchmaker site to start to put people... Um, you know, you really like this tequila, maybe you should try this tequila. And then as they were out actually visiting these properties, getting to know the producers, they started learning a little bit more about, you know, these processes and they started confirming. I was there when they distilled this and I saw the whole thing and I've confirmed, you know, we've confirmed that this is additive free. So they can go and do that for any brand. And, you know, we've largely seen that people love that as a resource. It's gotten some attention from the Mexican government to say, this isn't a certification, this isn't official. So until they decide that something is official, this is about as good as it's going to get. And we do know that they are on the ground consistently, you know, out there doing this. So that's a great resource. There's also, and and I can link it to a couple of different articles. There's some articles that just talk about how to, to figure this out. A lot of these, of those four chemicals are very sticky. And so most of the time we also recommend take something that you know has additives and something that you know doesn't have additives and actually just put it on your hands, rub your hands together. You can find glycerin really easily on your palate. You can find that sugar syrup very easily if your hands are sticky. And if something kind of seems like it's up, you're probably right. You know, it sometimes just takes a little bit of time to learn. There you go. And please check the show notes because we're going to have links to Tequila Matchmaker as well as links to producers that we sell that we can guarantee are um, pure. That's the big thing. Just buy from Winebo. They just need to buy from all of us. And then everybody knows that what we're doing is, is the best that we can do in terms of our producers. Awesome. Thanks again, Monique. Great episode. Thanks, Ron.